the theme for the afternoon uh, talk with you is titled Neither Here Nor There. It is quite uh, customary at the end of a retreat or, or workshop for the last talk of the session to include and appropriately um, matters of, uh, of everyday life. And perhaps rather unintentionally, we set up something of a duality. What I mean by that, we say, here is the retreat, here is the meditation, here is the form, methods, techniques, practices that you and I have been engaged in during our time. Then there is the mantra, going back into the real world. And that's the other side of the duality. So, we make the duality and then we ask for bridges from one side of the duality called being on a retreat into the other called being in the real world or being in, in daily life. And so, the, these poor sods called teachers have to come in <laughs> and make lots of comfort, comfortable statements so that you can leave here feeling that you can take from one thing and put it somewhere else. Forget it. <laughs> How is it that the inner life sets up the picture, the form, the structure, the image called the retreat? solidifies it, puts things into it, makes something of it. Having done that, it does seem to be for us a gap between here and there. And then we've got what there is all about, and we fix that in some way for us. And then we're having done that with our minds and with each other, and having collectively agreed on it, then we got this hassle of trying to get from here to there and carry things over. Now the way it usually gets carried over for many people is the idea that sitting on one's meditation cushion or stool or chair at home is somehow the link or one of the links to carry over. But as many people have reported, and some of you have said to, to me here, that sometimes one's um, interest, enthusiasm, determination, uh, application for formal sitting practice is simply isn't around inwardly. And then comes the second mantra, oh, my practice is really falling apart. So one's got A called being here, B called being there, the link called practice, which is called uh, sitting, that stops, one's practice is falling apart, and we live in that world. We live in it. And we measure the self that measures itself by that, so either we get disappointed or 
we start bothering Mary Ann, the programme coordinator, to find out when the next situation is of a retreat here, so that we can get back into our duality. <laughs> Do it here and see if I can carry it to there. And this is the great duality of the Dharma community. And we've all come to believe in it. The separation and the belief in the separation is through one thing alone that our inner life is doing. It is highlighting differences. We invest in the differences. We believe in the differences. We project, we establish, we fix as though the differences are absolutely true. And whenever you and I are in conflict, whenever you and I are having a struggle, when there is anguish and difficulty going on for us, one thing is for sure, in nearly always, is that we are fixated about the differences. Think of any situation where you have a difficulty, any situation where there's a conflict, where there's a struggle. Either inwardly, shall I do this, or shall I do that? And then you speak to your friends and they say, oh, I wouldn't do either. If I were you, <laughs> I would do that. Then you've got three things to have differences. So we haven't got a dualism, got a trialism, etc. We have such good friends. So we keep feeding into the world of differences and we invest the differences with great significance. The more you and I see the differences, the more we highlight and exaggerate them, the bigger the problem. All war is based on differences. All conflict is based on differences. All indecision is based on differences. All being here and being there and the struggle between here and there is based on differences. So that doesn't mean to say that you and I reduce everything to sameness. That would just create a completely grey world for you and I to live in and of course would be untrue as well. But can we bring to our existence and to existence itself some kind of meditative, contemplative attitude which asks ourselves, can I acknowledge the differences and simultaneously see what is in common? Could the perception of what is in common between the differences enable me to embrace the difficulties? the differences. We keep forgetting this simple truth of existence. We keep highlighting and focusing on this versus that. Being for this and against that. Between the measuring of health and sickness, profit and loss, 
success and failure, praise and blame. We, we, we get so enraptured with those dualities, giving enormous that our whole welfare depends on them. And perhaps we can just probe a little bit deeper so that we don't exaggerate the influence, what's in common? What's in common between here and there? What's in common between this and that? What's in common between me and you? What's in common between you and your neighbour? What's in common between you and another country, or whatever it might be? What's in common between being here at Spirit Rock and being on the highway, or whatever? And somehow, we are so infatuated with differences. We're losing a deep sense of commonality. And we've got to sense that and feel, and, and feel that. And I don't think there's any special method and technique. You know, you could spend the next ten lifetimes keeping your cushion warm at home. It may not make any profound difference to the realising how much we all share, how every moment is an equal sharing. And perhaps a little bit more meditation on that, a little bit less thinking about the differences, may be helpful, may be insightful. Some places around the world, it varies a great uh, deal, um, what shall we say in contemporary language, have been marketed. And dear old Marin <laughs> has been marketed. Not necessarily consciously, but the image. Mention Marin in Europe. Pff, what? What would the image be? It's probably none of it's true, but let's, let's go for the... Uh, <laughs> well, actually, some of it's bound to be. <laughs> um, love of comfort, pleasure, wealth, huge variety of pleasant things to entertain oneself with, and, uh, of course, lo lovely countryside and affluence almost beyond compare. This is the image, the picture. I'm not saying it's true. I'm just saying this is, even in, even in dear old God bless America, because you need every blessing God can give you. <laughs> <laughs> even in America, the image. So I feel that... And that needs to get challenged. And the only people that can challenge are those people who live here. You know, people like me can ramble on about it till the cows come home. Or in this case, the wild turkeys. But <laughs> more importantly is the tradition has spoken of, tremendously, of renunciation. Of Vinaya, meaning uh, disciplines for daily life, of making things last, sustainability. 
of a life which isn't in the pursuit of luxury and the maximization of it. And these teachings are indispensable to the Dharma. They're not intended, the teachings, to make our life more and more comfortable. And sometimes, for all of us who are, uh, as ho householders, we can get the idea with Dharma teachings that the purpose of it is to feel comfortable, happy and content inside while having everything we want. This, they don't go together. It doesn't work together. And it's not a moralizing uh, attitude towards life. But if the attention is so much focused on ownership, on having, on getting what is better, apparently, on the pursuit of, and our focused thoughts, feelings, ideas, and daily life, conversations and communications go along that way, we have settled for something less than the best. We have settled for the transient. We have settled for the temporary. We have settled for the fashionable. We have settled for momentary pleasure through eyes, ears, nose, tongue and touch. And in the settling for, for that, not only have we sold out, but we've, more importantly, we've missed something which transcends all of that. So it's not a moralizing view. It's saying, as the Buddha said, never be satisfied except for what is the best. And the best is a liberated life. The best is an enlightened life. The best is a life which is at one with the embrace of all things. And if one is prepared, when one feels that impulse to towards having the latest, having the best, towards making more money, towards thinking about investments and never thinking about the ethics of them, etc. And one takes a religious care with it. And the religious vigilance, the application of the discipline, the vinaya, of, uh, to all of that, then there's a possibility that in the integrity of that, something else begins to touch our life. Because we're able to use an extraordinary, powerful statement as a human being which is able to say no. And sometimes that's hard, because the impulses are there, that, that, that uh, uh, drift towards the maximization of pleasure at the expense of realization is there. The tendency is, is there. And sometimes in the centers, that's become clearly obvious, clearly obvious. Any center that I, I go to, that when a person or persons have been once, twice, or three times before, they will, they will ring up, or they will send a message. Can I have this particular room? Can I be in this particular building? Could you put me away from somebody who snores? Could I have a single room? Could I have the room with the big window? <laughs> Look, this is not Club Med. This, 
This is club meditation. It's a whole different <laughs> ball game. <laughs> so sometimes before people have actually arrived in the place, there's already the endeavour to maximise the pleasure. And sometimes, not only, not only here in Beloved Marine, it goes on around the planet, that that's sometimes people are bending the truth Bending it like, I have a sleeping disorder. <laughs> Which means that in 1992, one had a restless night. <laughs> and things get creep, creep in. All of it is the, maxim the desire to maximise comfort. Maximise what I would like what I would need. I think some of you, you should come, like Vernon and other friends, to Budgaya. <laughs> come to the Thai monastery. There are 58 men sleeping under the temple, on the floor, on straw mats, with mosquito nets. Sometimes the snoring is trembling the monastery. <laughs> for 10 days. One has a little practice of letting go. <laughs> little practice of doing that. The women will be in a tent in the garden, rain or shine, in the garden, in this tent. It's not a tent like you have in Marine, it's a tent which is completely unreliable. <laughs> People are doing their mantras for it to stay up the night. <laughs> So sometimes we need to stretch our boundaries. We need to be asking ourselves as part of our practice and part of our discipline, the profound in life is beyond ownership. The deep in life is not in the field of having. The wonder of life is not in consuming. And if we can begin to feel that and sense that and, and acknowledge that, then all of that world in our consciousness gets smaller and smaller in significance. Who the hell cares that the money market was good in the 90s and the numbers go up in the 90s and they go down in the 200? Everybody here who's done any practice of impermanence hopefully thought, yes, it's going up. Great, because it's going to come down. Great, because that's going to remind me of impermanence. I don't get here great enthusiasm for impermanence in the stock market. No, people get angry and upset with their financial advisors and, and get agitated and get worried because the numbers are changing. Come on. Impermanence. <laughs> Change. Things coming and going. And if, and if we don't live honestly with that and acknowledge that and stay true to that, our emotional life becomes dependent on numbers. Whoa! To give the emotional life and hang it on some numbers. I mean, is it intelligent? 
So all of this is part of the questioning of the Dharma discipline. And those who see this and recognize this and, and explored this, and the many beautiful acts of generosity, one only has to look at this, this, this build, building uh, here. It, it, it came through people's acts of kindness and acts of generosity and saying, let's make something happen. And that kind of warmth and expansion and spirit and, uh, and openness is an incredibly important feature. And it goes alongside, as I said earlier, the willingness to say no. The willingness to do without. The willingness to say, I have a car. Yes, if one has a car. And, and let me keep this car five or ten years. Let, let, let it last. The, the, willing, the willingness to, to, to do without, the willingness to see if things can be repaired and, and sustained, or whatever it might be, and say, this belongs to my practice. This belongs to concern for the present generation and the future generations. And, and there's no better place on this earth for such a revolutionary spirit of attitude to, to start than here. If it started here, I promise you, people around the world would be saying, wow, what's going on in Marin? Out of Marin is coming discipline. Out of Marin is coming renunciation. Out of Marin is, is coming letting go. Out of Marin is coming self-sacrifice. Out of... Remin... Remin... <laughs> 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 Can't even remember the place. It's <laughs> coming sustainability. Out of here is coming some austerity. And it would encourage and it would inspire others because people say, because here it's associated with everything else but that. And it could be an extraordinarily powerful thing in this wider community here to look into that, to explore that and say, what can we do? What changes can we make? What could we show that would really make a difference and then be a real inspiration uh, uh, elsewhere? Not only uh, in the Western paradise, but uh, further, further afield as well. And that has, a, has a, uh, an ethic to it. So I think there's much that can be explored, and, and it's hard for the individual to do this you know, by oneself. It needs discussion. It needs looking into. It needs uh, sharing. It needs that uh, ability to say yes to what is worth giving to, to say no when we know it's just pursuit of luxury and pleasure. So that the real joys and fun and enjoyment of life can really come through in, in beautiful ways for us. In the international uh, um, Dharma, uh, Dharma world, I just meant, had mentioned briefly, briefly to you uh, a little while, there are many very important and invaluable programs that uh, Spirit Rock has uh, set in place and they have inspired and provoked uh, lots of discussions in uh, other places of the world and the outflow of events here is already having great benefit elsewhere and I know how much from uh, Europe we lend an ear and see what's in the inquiring mind and what's in the Spirit Rock newsletter 
because it's an important uh, uh, focal point and it's a great credit to the, all the teachers and the, st and the staff here. And it, and, it, and it isn't easy. And those of you who live in the area uh, are aware and familiar with the uh, tremendous outpouring of time, energy and costs that uh, take place. And that can only continue in such a way because people help to make these things uh, happen. And some of the things that we're engaged in uh, uh, elsewhere, and just a small uh, aside on this, just to thank you very, very much for the many kind and warm uh, notes that have come to me, and particularly uh, those notes which have expressed uh, deep concern about uh, the tragedies that are taking place as we talk here in, in the Middle, e Middle East. And you know, quite often when I'm uh, in that part of the world, you know, People will say, you know, in Europe they see, don't seem to care anymore about what's going on here. They're more interested in the trains running on time. And uh, uh, in the US people are just getting on with their own lives and they don't b bother with us uh, any, anymore. And, and it's important, those notes that you have given me, that in a very small way when I go to that part of the world and say, hey, there are really are people who are concerned. There really are uh, people who really do uh, want to give support and are expressing ways and means to, to do that. And it re these things, as Wen said, they really do land in, in, in amongst our uh, Israeli and Palestinian brothers and sisters. It, it, it nourishes people. So your notes really, you know, in a small way, help to uh, carry an important message of concern that, uh, that we all, all have. In uh, the international uh, uh, situation. Um, what some of you have mentioned about going to uh, India. And those of you who know have been, listened to me before, I have a great affection for, for uh, Mother India. I've never had one single rational reason why, but nevertheless it sustained itself uh, o over the years there. And uh, in that we have programs taking place in Budgaya, have a network of support taking place in the villages for the, the poor. And in Saranath, outside Varanasi, we have a program there of Dharma activities, which is just, uh, as I said to the teachers, trying to get a teacher meeting in, Var in uh, Saranath. Um, that it's, you know, Delhi is nothing, is it? You just pop down to San Francisco airport, you jump on a plane, you're there a few hours later, jump onto another plane, into Varanasi, quick rickshaw, and you're in Saranath. Nothing to it. So sometimes we have these ideas, or sometimes we believe what the State Department tells us. Don't go to India, abandon India, stay away from India. Please take no notice of them. They didn't say that to 1,000 million Indians who are still there. So they're still there. What's good enough for them is good enough for us. And, and therefore, if you feel the wish and the impulse to go to India, go. Just go. And it'd be a good education, I promise you. And don't be concerned about health and all, 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 of, all, of, the, all of the, all these things. There are lots of little anxieties that uh, uh, take, take place there. One just takes a little care, wash the hands, clean drinking water from the bottle, no problem. 
sometimes people, just their thoughts, they hear these stories. And I always say, look, 1,000 million people are living there. So why shouldn't we go? And in um, uh, Europe, that you'll see out there, some of the students of mine who are now uh, uh, teachers, that last year we had a 200-mile uh, yatra, that's a pilgrimage walk, from the foothills of the Pyrenees to the community of Tignatham, much loved and respected in uh, our community and worldwide, of course. And while on, on that walk, on the third day of that walk, we stayed at a campsite. And beautiful. You could see the snow-capped Pyrenees, about 30, 40 miles away. There's a lake and loads of buildings and hundreds and hundreds of trees and mobile homes and etc. etc. And when Martin, one of the teachers, got back from India in February, just walking uh, past uh, an estate agent's in a small town near where he lives, and blow me down, this campsite's up for sale. And when we were there, we thought, what do we want to keep walking for? I mean, it's all sweat, isn't it? Let's hang out here for two or three weeks instead of the walk. But anyway, we, we walked. <laughs> and the facility is up for sale, total cost, I think about $440,000. And it's just a jewel of a place. So at the teachers' meeting during the week, we touched upon it and uh, 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 spoke about it. And of course, I'm mentioning it uh, to you now. And the intention behind this is to have, uh, in the heart of Europe, an international community, not as a retreat center, but a place for families to come, for people to come for days and weeks and months, a place for workshops and conferences and meetings and discussions, ways to, for people for training in the daily life situation, etc., etc. And all of this is uh, under exploration at the moment with uh, four or five teachers. They're all in their uh, 30s, early to mid-30s, uh, who are putting a lot of time and energy and love to see if uh, this can happen. And I just use it as one uh, example of the international community working and cooperating together as here with Spirit Rock as well to help make things happen in that open Sangha way without walls meaning that all are welcome and one of the great strengths of this community as everybody knows it's not in any way whatsoever a closed shop. Meet what I mean by that that in this Sangha and in this network all of us as teachers give as much support as we possibly can to people's right and people's freedom to explore spiritual practices in ways which are suitable for them. There is far too much of this enclosed system, only do this, don't do that. And the divisiveness, sometimes the sectarianism, even the cultism that goes on. And a great strength of uh, the international community, if people uh, wish to use the great resources of mind-body, marvellous. People wish to explore Zen and Dzogchen, fantastic. People wish to do trainings in yoga, go to Advaita teachers, 
uh, explore shamanic uh, traditions, um, that, that religious practices out of the Christian Judaic tradition. We're all supportive because we all believe in people's right and freedom to explore as a real feature of what spiritual life is all about. And this community here, the international community, embodies that principle. You won't hear us narrow, small-minded, uh, clinging and saying, only do this. It goes against the whole culture of what we're trying to say and do here for each and, each and all of us. And I think there's something essentially very healthy about that, something very beautiful uh, uh, about that. So in the ex finally, in the exploration of uh, uh, the daily life, yes, of course, meditate here, meditate at home. Yes, of course, be out in the nature here, be out in the nature at home. Yes, of course, be content with little here, and yes, of course, be content with little at home. Yes, of course, love silence here. Yes, love it at home. Yes, appreciate sky above and earth below here, and appreciate it at home. Keep seeing how much deep is in common, and if we get the sense of what's deep and in common with uh, teachings and practices, things flower very, very naturally. Very, very naturally. And that's part of what the Dharma life is all about. So let's have a couple of uh, quiet minutes together, shall we? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.